This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Aloha, everybody. I'm so glad to see we already have some people coming to the space. Thank you for being here. My name is Kim Ann Curtin. I am the Wall Street Coach. I have the only trading Discord room dedicated to mindset for traders called TraderHeroJourney.com. I also host a podcast and I got a select group of traders one-on-one, how to secure success faster and with less pain Today, I'm very excited to have Andrew Aziz, the founder of Bearable Traders, on my Twitter space. Andrew has come to my podcast a couple of months ago. We had a great conversation, two-part video podcast and then Twitter space. But today, I wanted to have this Twitter space specifically because of Andrew having just summited Mount Everest, which was a dream of his for a while. And I just find the harrowing journey that entails to be fascinating. And I suspect he is going to have lots of analogies and metaphors that can be relatable to traders. So my hope is that this conversation will inspire you personally, but also professionally, and that we can all learn from what happened for him up on that mountain. I'm not sure if any of you were able to read his, you know, small recap that he spoke to in some of his social media at the day he did Summit Everest, but it was pretty moving and emotional. So my hope is that today you'll get to hear more as well as I'll get to hear more because I'm dying to hear the story. Andrew, I'm so glad you're here. I'm sending you the permission to be a co-host and hopefully that will work. Hello, Kim. How are you? I'm doing well, Andrew. How are you doing? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. How's uh, the beautiful weather in Hawaii? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. We have summer coming, which is, we've had a very rainy, cold, damp, you know, couple of months. So I know everybody's like, hey, Kim, don't complain. You're in Hawaii. But it's been very wet, Andrew. So I'm happy to see the drier weather come in. So it is a rainforest in a lot of ways. So gets wet after a while. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. I can't wait to come and visit you there. I know. You're going to have to come, especially to just relax and take some time to just chill after all of the harrowing adventures you've recently had. So I think it's a good time to come to Hawaii and just sit back and on the beach and relax. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, after that, I actually went to Bali uh, so I spent oh, some time in right. Bali, that's and then right. after that, I went to Dubai. So, you know, I really needed some beach and relaxation time, and I really got that. So, good. but definitely so Hawaii, glad. I'll come for a visit. Okay, good. That sounds perfect. Glad to see you here to Paris. I'm glad you're here, and I'm sure you're going to have some questions for Andrew. So, Andrew, I just spoke a little bit to why I wanted to do this space. I mentioned, of course, that you were recently on my podcast and that we had a great conversation a few months ago, but that I was 
myself personally fascinated with the summiting of Everest that you did and that I was certain this would be an inspirational call, but perhaps also inspiring to traders to just see where the correlations around the mindset, you know, I'm so fascinated with the mindset that everybody, you know, uses in the markets. So I thought it would just be a great conversation to just see what, you walked away from for yourself as a person, as a man, but also as a trader. Yeah, that's very nice of you. Thank you so much for really having me. For those of you who don't know me, I mean, I've been climbing mountains since pretty much my teenage life. You know, I grew up in Tehran in Iran. And, you know, there are some big mountains nearby and, you know, from my highest, from my, you know, bedroom, I always look at the mountains and look at the snow and look at the, you know, those beautiful, you know, environments. And I always had the passion of going into the mountains and mountains, you know, climbing mountains and hiking. I Obviously, I started with very simple hiking. And, you know, when I got into, you know, university, I got a little bit more technical climbing, you know, including ropes. And uh, when I came to Canada, obviously more glacier travel and crossing uh, more difficult trail, you know, trains in the mountain. And, you know, eventually my dream was to go to the Everest, not just because it's the highest point in the world, just because that environment, you know, I wanted to environment like something like about 26, 27,000 feet. And, you know, I know it's beautiful, the sunrise, I really wanted to look at the sunrise in that environment. And, uh, you know, I went to Nepal for, you know, to hike around and climb around Everest in 2015, April and May 2015. And that was exactly the time that the very big earthquake happened in Nepal. And I happened to be there, actually. Yeah. So, you know, it was a very interesting experience. Obviously, nobody climbed it after the big uh, earthquake, which 40,000 people unfortunately died. But it was a very interesting experience because, you know, you got to see, you know, a very poor country in in, in a disaster and, uh, you know, coming out of that environment, it was very interesting. But I always had in mind my, uh, mind to go back to Nepal for climbing a big mountain. I went to Nepal uh, in 2021 for some running and hiking and trekking. And I finally decided to do it this year because I thought that I probably this is the time that I got to do. I think I'm at the peak of my health. And it would be the best time to uh, climb Everest. The whole expedition, usually the people that climb Everest during the April and May. So climbers are going, it's a very long expedition. You know, usually it's about six weeks to eight weeks. So I went there. I did it in one month. did it really fast because I've had experiences in the high elevation before. And just two weeks before I go to Nepal, I went to Bolivia to climb some big mountains. Again, over 24, 22. 3,000 feet, so it took some sort of acclimatization. So I went there around mid-April, April 20th, and most of the climbers are going around mid-April, early April, and they try to, for the summit push, which is the most stable weather, is around 2nd and 3rd week of May. So most of the people who climb Everest, they try to aim for the summit push in that time, depending on the window. And I personally summited on May 18 at 5 a.m. in the morning, and uh, yeah, so I came down the same day. For climbing something like 26,000, you know, I mean, Everest is 28,000, 29,000 feet, like 8,800 meter. It's a long process. 
And obviously the number one thing that you take away from this process is you have to be very patient with yourself, with your body, uh, with the weather, and uh, see if the mountain really allows you to climb. That's the number one thing that you, know, you really have to learn from the process. One of the things I noticed you spoke about when you were trying to give us a little recap was how the, you kept experiencing delays at being able to go to that summit because the rope was torn. So I'm just curious, what was your mindset like? Here you are, you know, as close as you could possibly be, and yet it was kind of eluding you. What was that like for you? I mean, you know, going, you know, going back to the patience that I mentioned that, you know, the Everest is a challenge that, you know, I kind of resembles with trading. Like a lot of people are mentioning that to me that I want to be a trader. You know, I have this amount of money. I'm looking to, to do this and you do this and this. And I'm always telling them that you cannot really make a shortcut out of trading. You have to really go through the process and be patient with the process. The climbing Everest is also like that. Like no other mountains have ever been in my life that you, are, you just have to wait. You know, there's no way to go up in the mountain. You know, the wind and the cold and the lack of oxygen has no mercy and joke with you. Even the strongest climbers, they just have to wait until to get to that, the right timing. So the most important part in, in climbing a big mountain like that is to be patient. And accept that there are things that are out of your control, no matter how strong you are, no matter how excited you are, no matter how prepared you are, it's just you have to be patient for the right moment. And that, that was very difficult for me, especially that I'm a very impatient person. I'm, something <laughs> that I'm someone that I really want to get things done. Even in my trading, I'm a scalper. I just want to get things done. Like I can't you know, wait for days and weeks and hours. I just need to finish it. And it was, it was difficult for me on that front. Yeah. The other thing that really stood out to me was how you were only 10 minutes away from the summit, but that you were encountering, you know, very tragically, that 19-year-old young man who had died and other bodies, I presume as well, that were up there and that, you know, shook you to consider turning back and wondering if you'd be open to talking about that. And if you don't feel comfortable, that's okay too, Andrew. No, 100%, definitely. I mean, above 26,000 feet, you start seeing actually bodies, dead bodies, more than one. You can, I, I, I personally saw four or five, but there are more. Usually if they're on the way, the other climbers push them down the mountains a little bit. So because, you know, if there's not a lot of space to go up the mountain. The one that I saw, you know, it was so fresh. Like the headlamp that he used, he, was, he died probably at five hours before us or 10 hours before us from exhaustion and most of the deaths are based on you know from exhaustion and lack of oxygen so you know his headlamp was still on and the moment that i saw we were just 10 minutes from the you know 10 minutes from the summit i told myself that i'm not ready to die for a mountain it's just not worth it the risk to reward is not there i turned back to my sherpa and you know you don't really don't talk in that environment because you have an oxygen mask and you know the wind and everything and i you know i asked him to come go back and then he looked at me and he looked at the summit and said just 10 minutes what are you talking about just he pushed me toward there and told me that don't look at it just go keep pushing looking uh, you know going forward and that was uh kim this is the most important part of i think my life so far after 
I decided to move going up back to the summit, I accepted that I'm going to die in this mountain. And the moment that, you know, I've heard that before. I've read that somewhere before that the key to climb Everest is that you have to be willing accept to die for it. That's the only way that you can climb it. I didn't understand it that time. Like, what are you talking about? Obviously, there's a risk, but we take care of ourselves. We use rope and then we go, you know. But, you know, the moment that I saw that dead body, I said, okay, I'm going. I accept that, okay, this is it. That was my life journey. And let's go and see where I'm actually dying. And that's okay. The death is not that bad. In that environment, when you die, it's like a sleeping because... You know, it's just the lack of oxygen. It makes you really sleepy. And then I said, okay, I'm going to start falling asleep and not waking up. It's not a painful death. And I just keep moving up. And, be, and as you go up, you're, you know, you're more and more scared because you know that you have to come down. And, you know, yeah. most of the deaths are actually happening on the way down, not on the way up. So we reached to the summit. You know, obviously, you have that endorphin of success. And you got, you know, the pictures. And, you know, I was really happy enjoying the environment. But coming down... I knew that I have to pass those dead bodies and, you know, those are the areas that the people have, have died. But I think the key for me was accepting the fact that, okay, this is it. That is my fate. And that helped me a lot. That's really beautiful. And I can't help but see, you know, just that is the same metaphor of which life is, right? You can't really live until you accept that death comes with this life that we are all fortunate enough to live with and it just feels like a philosophical mind shift perhaps that willingness that is that is very true and Kim you know I experienced the true real in-depth mindfulness up there like I'm not doing meditation I know you know I know about mindfulness and you know being in the present but I'm not a person who my mind always works either in the past or in the future I'm always regretting my past or have the anxiety about the future it's just in my nature and everybody's telling me that you have to live in the moment and focus on the you know be mindful but up there in the mountains especially in the last 10 hours of pushing toward the summit the only thing that you can think of the only thing that you can think of is every step that you're making. Because of the lack of oxygen, you just have to do one step and you have to do deep breath a couple of times and then another one and another one. And your mind doesn't have any energy to go up about, oh, what if I go up there and take pictures? Or I, on the other way, you don't think about anything else. Like for yeah. hours and hours, pure mindfulness. And it's actually a very, very nice state of mind. You know, and Hell you know, yeah. this is the one. Oh, yeah, this is something that you get it by the, meditation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're in the now. That environment forced you to be in the only thing that's true and real, which is now. There is no past, there is no future in ever, but especially in that environment. It's profound, Andrew. It's profound. It's amazing. And here's another thing is that you actually find your true self. You know, because our mind is always going through either anger or, you know, and, you know, happiness or laugh or talking to each other or notifications and stuff. So our minds are always moving towards something. And the, in the true state of meditation, you sit down and then you observe all the thoughts that are coming and going in your mind. And a lot of people say, okay, who is real you? I mean, who is Andrew Aziz? Is it the happy Andrew or is angry Andrew or, you know, the, the depressed Andrew? Which one is that? No, the one that is observing all of those thoughts, that is the real 
person, like real Beautiful. yourself. Yeah, so you, in that environment, I think for eight hours I was myself. I wasn't capable of thinking anything else. And my mind was really connected to my body and I was feeling that it's actually through me. And that is really in the zone. I mean, if you can, in during your day-to-day city life, be in that state of mind, I think that is really the true enlightenment that Buddha is really talking about. Like, because I was there with, you know, there are Nepalis and they're Buddhists and I was talking and reading a lot about Buddhism. And essentially that state of enlightenment that the Buddha is talking about is really that. It's just be truly in the moment without any past or future, any anger or hate or nothing. It's just sitting in the moment. And it's a very beautiful feeling. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. We're talking to the founder of Bearable Traders, Andrew Aziz, who is an incredible mountaineer for many years. And he just was able to, as you can hear in his story, got to the top of Mount Everest, a dream of his that he's had for a long time. Please follow him on Twitter and check out his website, Bearable Traders. My name is Kim Ann Curtin, the Wall Street Coach. I have the only trading Discord room dedicated to mindset called TraderHeroJourney.com. If you're enjoying this conversation, please tweet it out so we can have others hear all that Andrew experienced. And we're also, I'm curious to Andrew about how this correlates to what you do professionally as a trader, but I do want to open up the floor to questions. So please, I'm going to pause for a second. If anybody does have any questions they want to ask Andrew, just please just raise your hands and I'll give you the microphone. One of the things that I wanted to also ask you, Andrew, was what were there barriers, mindset barriers, and or physical barriers that you did have to overcome for you to just be able to navigate this? I personally didn't have any physical barrier, really. I mean, it's all mental. Like the moment that you are up there and you feel that you're exhausted and you cannot go up anymore, it's all mental. Later, when I came down, all the Sherpas and uh, you know the people who were in the expedition, they told me that I was the fastest person who started from Camp 4 going up and coming back down to Camp 2. Like, I did it in what less you... than 15 hours. Like, wow. What do you attribute that to, Andrew? I don't know. I mean, physically, I probably just stay very general health, you know, just healthy generally. And try to, you know, eat healthy and try to do exercise and run. Physically, you really, a lot of people are asking me, how do you get yourself physically ready for Everest? You can't really. You just have to have the physical, your general fitness, you know. But in that environment, you just have to go and adapt to the acclimatize by the elevation. Go a couple of weeks in advance and just be ready. You can't really do much physically. But mentally, I think I've, I mentally broke down when I saw the dead body. And, you know, when you see the dead bodies, you know that they're all probably as good as you or maybe better climber than you. So you mentally break down. You think that you cannot do that. And I found it in life generally, it's, you know, a lot of it's the mental aspect of it. In trading, for example, it's very mental. The decisions that you're making and you know sometimes it's wrong, but you're still doing it. Those are all the aspects of mental strength and mental resilience. For me, physically, no problem. Mentally, you know, again, having that Sherpa was also very important. Every time that I was really afraid, you know, and I wanted to cry, looking at him and see this guy was older than me and carrying actually more oxygen than me. He was carrying four bottles of oxygen for both of us. So I was looking at him and he was going and he was older than me. And I said, okay, you know, I probably can do that. This guy is doing. And then 
a couple of times that I, you know, sat down and looked at the, you know, summit and I, especially that time, the next to the dead body, he pushed me and said, go, having that the Sherpa, an experienced person who's been up there 12 times, actually helped a lot. That's, uh, that's another thing that actually I think it's very similar to trading is that being around someone who's more experienced takes you accountable, make you accountable and support you is very important. Remember, and, and on encourages up and encourages you. Exactly, it encourages you. Like that Sherpa cannot do anything for me up there. Like that dead body that I mentioned, he had the Sherpa as well. But, you know, he just passed out and the Sherpa cannot do anything. Like, you know, they can't even bring you down. Like they're all there to support your journey, to be present with you, but they're not there to save you. And it's very, very important. I was thinking, oh, yeah, if I feel bad, you know, I'll just these guys take care of him. But no, even that Sherpa was struggling himself with lack of oxygen, with cold and everything. But having someone experience with me actually makes me feel stronger in my journey. Like, so, okay, this guy is there. I'm going with this guy. This guy is not taking me up there. I'm going with this guy. And it's very important. For me, actually, he saved my life a couple of times because my oxygen mask froze. And this oxygen mask, you know, you breathe through that. And if the the valve freezes, then, you know, you, you might have some issues. My valve froze, and then I realized that I, even though I have oxygen in there, I can't breathe. And I suddenly pushed him, and I said, well, I can't breathe. And then he knew that he was a very experienced Sherpa. He knew that it's frozen. So he took out his mask and started hawing and puffing in with his mouth into my mask, so opened up. And, you know, that was a great thing. But having, uh, you know, an experienced person next to you is extremely important to, you know, encourage you, inspires you, and just walk with you up there. Yeah, I can't help but think that is how you operate with so many, you know, of your colleagues and the students that come into your room. I was fortunate enough to speak at one of your conferences and all of your talks and all of your engagement with your students is one of pushing them beyond what's comfortable encouraging them, speaking hard truths, and making sure that kind of no one gets left behind. So I'm just very happy that you received that same experience on that mountain, Andrew. Very important. I mean, in every aspect of life, I've always heard about life coaches, like the people who are life coach. And, you know, I was always wondering, what can they do really for you? A lot of these, you know, especially for successful businessmen and entrepreneurs and that. Just life coaches are... They're, they're not necessarily as rich as those guys or as successful as those guys, but they are there to support you through your decision-making in your journey. And in trading, for example, in our community, the people who are coming, they're trading with us, we all, always tell them that, hey, you know, you're not here to copy us or do what we do, but we are here to support you. If you have any question, just being around a group of successful people helps you a lot. Yeah. Dr. Brett Steinbarger is a famous psychologist author. He's one of my very uh, respected authors that I really look up to. He mentioned that, you know, if you want to become an Olympic swimmer, going to Olympic, you know, you know, to compete, do you have a better chance to do it alone in your backyard pool or join a club and swim with a bunch of people who are actually pursuing the same goal? Obviously, you have a better chance than you are with a group of people, even if they are direct competitor of you. So in trading, all traders are essentially somehow the competitors of each other. We are 
you know, trading all same things, sometimes taking money from each other, but being around each other, even though we are direct competitor of each other, actually helps a lot to achieving that peak going up. Yeah, rates is the bar for everyone. Paris, you've been so patient with your questions. Sorry for the delay, please. What is your question for Andrew? And it's good to have you here, Paris. No, thank you. Thank you. And thanks, Kim. And Andrew, I've known like I've known you personally. I've known you for many years. Your journey in trading as well as mountaineering is is has been very inspiring. Sometimes you do things which are sometimes which are so unimaginable and you make sure that you achieve it and make it imaginable. So so thank you for that. My question to you is when we talk about in terms of trading or compared with mountaineering, we talk about risk reward. And sometimes there is, I want to understand more about your mindset on what was the, so trying to climb the Mount Everest and the risk was a very high risk of dying while climbing to the Mount Everest. And what was the reward that you were thinking to achieve? Because sometimes you are passionate about so much that it may lead to an obsession. So how did you differentiate between your passion and if it was an obsession to climb that? And what was the risk reward that you were thinking? Because for a lot of people or maybe a lot of people listening to it, that it could be, you know, something that's very high and and would you be willing to risk dying on the mountains than climb, you know, thinking of climbing one. So what was your mindset behind that? It was a bad trade, Paris. It was a very bad risk to reward in the climbing Everest. I was afraid, like the moment that I wanted to come back because I realized that it's not worth it. You know, I don't want to die for a mountain. It's just not worth it. And I don't want to go back, to be honest with you, and that high elevations ever again. Like I don't, you know, I, I don't understand people who are not professionally or guides, but they keep going up. And that's a very hard environment. It's like end of the world. It's literally end of the world. Like in the morning when everybody was waking up at Camp 4 trying to put the oxygen on and gear on and everything, I was looking at people's face and everybody had fear in their face, like including the Sherpas. Like, they're like you've seen these movies like Germany, World, World War II, like they're going to war. It was exactly like that environment. So for me personally, the risk that I was taking, I wasn't aware of the risk until you really get into the 10 minutes to 20 minutes to the summit and i realized that it's not worth it it was very risky but the reward for me personally because i you know i really didn't want to climb everest that much for it like i didn't want to die for it i didn't have a project for it the only thing that i thought about that is amazing is i knew a lot of people are following me in the community and i wanted to do that for them because kim and paris i don't know if you guys know i've i was overweight like seven years ago i was very bad health my dad was overwhelmed overweight he died very early heart problems and i came from a family of nothing really from zero money and i thought that if i can climb everest i can show people that you can make changes in your life i came from iran from a country that i had to immigrate very difficultly to canada i borrowed money to come to canada and I did a PhD in Canada, and then I started a business, and I did the trading, and I became successful financially, and now I'm climbing Everest. If I can inspire one person to do that, I think I will be happy. And to be honest with you, in the expedition before, in the first climatization that we did go up, and I didn't have internet, 
But it came down. I got so many emails and messages and texts and even DMs in the Twitter that inspired me, that people say, Andrew, go, you can do it. You're inspiring. And that actually pushed me going higher. But overall, for majority of the people, it, you know, it's something that I don't recommend. And I personally don't want to go back again in that environment. Yeah, Paris, did you have a follow-up? No, that's it. Thank you. You haven't inspired one. You have inspired thousands of people, Andrew, So, including me. So thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you, brother. Such a beautiful question, Paris. It was just so, so deep. Please, if you guys have questions, please feel free to raise your hand so I can give you the microphone. I'm just kind of curious, Andrew, what life is like on the other side of this tremendous accomplishment for some people sometimes there's a bit of like you know a little bit of wind coming out of ourselves when we achieve something that we wanted for so long i hope that's not the experience for you but i'm just curious like how do you go back to normal after such an incredible achievement you have to define another you know objective for yourself i thought about this a lot kim a lot of people are asking me what is next Obviously, you know, that is the worst. I mean, there's nothing more than that you want to achieve. I was thinking of uh, what am I going to do as something that challenges my soul. I was thinking of now focusing and to, you know, on the business a little bit on the side, not because of the money, because one of the things that I actually took out of the, this expedition was that how life is fragile and how short it can be. Like I told you that a person, that a young person died in front of me. So money actually, you know, lost a lot of its value in my mind because I came from a family of nothing and money is very important for me to make money to get rich. And then, you know, you realize that, okay, you're just one step away, one regulator malfunction away from death or one, you know, mistake from dying in the mountains. You know, the money doesn't have that much value for me. But now the challenge that I put for myself is, you know, we're building this trading terminal for traders. And I was thinking of, okay, can that be my next Everest? Can that project be my next Everest? In terms of a personal goal, I was thinking of maybe going to Antarctica. That's the climbing mountains that I, there are two mountains in Antarctica that I want to see. It's very beautiful, very cold, and, you know, very, very remote and untouched environment. But generally, you know, this is something that also I've never told anybody. The moment that in the camp four we woke up and we decided to get ready, I looked at Everest. It was at night, and I said, "Let allow me to climb, but make me a better person if I come back alive. Teach me something in that environment." And I did mention that to Everest. Like I'm not a very religious person. I would, you know, I would have told you to to God, but I looked at Everest. It's very beautiful. You can have a really nice view of it. And I said, "Allow me to climb you," and I was really afraid, but. If I survive, teach me something coming out of it. And I think the lesson, that, the main lesson that I got, the spiritual lesson is just live in the moment. Life is too short. Enjoy, be grateful with what you have. You have no idea, Kim, that like you go outside, the sun shining on your face. And I was just desperate for that for days. Like I just want some heat on my skin. Like it's so cold and everything over there or just a cup of water or glass of beer next to the water i was just dreaming about all of those stuff or a laugh with group of friends like i missed my friends and family a lot up there and i thought to myself that you know just appreciate be grateful of what you have very small moments that you have around 
this is very important. And I hope that I can take that with me. Just be grateful of life. The experiences that you have, how bad you might think they are, is still just, you just, you have to be so happy that you're actually experiencing these things. Yeah, so beautifully said. What was it like to watch that sunrise from that location? Oh, amazing, amazing. It was amazing. Like, like I actually, you know, just to make an announcement, I'm going to make a slideshow next week for all the community members. I'm going to yeah, obviously open up, I'll open it up to the public. Anyone wants to come. Pictures, I'm going to show you the dead body picture, the videos I took and everything. The Saunders was amazing. Like, you know that this is, you are the highest person in the world. Like, literally, I was the highest person in the world. It was amazing. But it was also with a mixture of cold and fear as well. So I wasn't enjoying it as much as I should have because I was also mm. cold and a little bit scared, especially when you're on the top. It's amazing. But I had the anxiety of going down that route as well. So, yeah. But it's a very nice experience. No words can really explain that. Were you able to see the curvature of Earth from that location or perspective? No, I didn't. I didn't pay attention to that. I wasn't sure that would even can be you, available. Can you do that? I, I didn't know that I you don't. can actually do that. Well, I just remember seeing a very subtle, slight curvature of the Earth at the top of the World Trade Towers when I was little. And it was the first time. You know, they talk about the NASA astronauts that when they looked back at our planet, you know, they had this kind of like, enlightenment experience and for me being you know whatever i was 12 years old at the time i was it was when the roof of the twin towers was open back in the day after it had been first built you were allowed to go to the observation deck which was outside and i saw it, it was very slight but that subtle you know curvature of the planet and it just knocked me out and had me really see us as a planet, a circular planet. So I was just curious if that was available at that height up there. No, unfortunately it wasn't, but it seems to me that you should go up there. You should go to climb Everest. Uh, you would probably <laughs> no enjoy way. it a lot. No way. I'm lucky I could do my Kea here with some uh, spiked brownies to handle the altitude <laughs> sickness. My friends, when I was up there, I was so shocked at how disorientating it can be and i don't know when you were here i know you've gone to the top of mauna kea did you go to lake Va'au, that that sacred lake that's at the top of mauna kea it's up a little higher than the observatories was that something you did when you were here no i didn't unfortunately okay. but that's a good excuse to do it again yeah um, exactly but there it's you have to walk you know, you can only drive so far and you have to do the walk to this sacred lake. And it, like you spoke to, obviously, you're um, 7,000 feet higher. But I just remember having to put one foot in front of the other so slowly to get to it because I, you know, we didn't have oxygen masks, obviously, up there, but it was just so daunting. And this feeling, I, I felt like drunk. Oh, that, that was the disorientation I felt. I'm curious, what was yours like? Did it feel like a compromised, cognitively compromised experience for you? Sorry, I didn't get the question. The experience of the Everest? 
Yes, at that altitude, I was just curious if you found a cognitive decline in your, you know, abilities. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think that that is very normal. Like, you know, as I mentioned, that you feel a little sleepy up there. You just really, everything is coming down because of the lack of oxygen. Because the oxygen that you're using also doesn't bring you down to the sea level. It just helps you a little bit. Like, instead of, like, 29,000 feet, you are, like, in 26,000 feet or 25,000 feet. It's enough for you not to die. But here's the thing about the Everest. What I loved about Everest is... It's a place that people pushed about. If you follow the news, you know, you read really amazing things. It's a place that humanity pushes the boundary of, you know, things that you're capable of doing that. The oldest man who ever climbed Everest is an 80-year-old person, like a Japanese, 80-year-old, wow. like 80. Wow. And then wow. the woman, the, you know, Watanabe is the oldest woman to summit Everest. At 73. 73. Wow. So, you, you know, you have to go to that environment to see how crazy that environment is. When you see an 80-year-old person or 73-year-old person climbing that Everest, it means that, you know, you, can, you are capable of doing things. You are absolutely capable of doing crazy things if you put your mind up there. I saw this year there was the Nepali person who was half, they didn't, ha- he didn't have any legs. I don't know what they called him. There, there was no legs. I think yeah, he, was, yeah. he was paralyzed. Paralyzed. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So he had, he was climbing it and then he had these small, you know, these, you know, the metallic kind of foot. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't know what they call them. That there's some things that yeah. they, so instead of his legs, they, he had these uh, manufactured metal prosthetics. Yes, exactly. That was yeah. the word I was looking for. And then he was climbing with that and he had this, you know, crampons on, on the bottom of those prosthetics. And I was unbelievable that this guy was essentially crawling up the mountain. Jeez. And, uh, you know, that guy, that person was proving that, you know, even the physical disability shouldn't stop you from achieving your goals. And that guy yeah. did it successfully, came down, and I saw him personally during the camp three to camp four, and I was just blown away. So if your mind, if you put your mind in there, you will achieve it. Like trading, for example, I know a lot of people are in this call are traders. If you put your mind on it, you're going to achieve it. You're, you may not achieve it the way that you want it, but if you are really resilient in there, you can make it. Like humanity is showing you that it's, everything is possible. If you do it right with the proper support and just are resilient enough to survive the process. You guys are all listening to Andrew Aziz. He is the founder of Bearable Traders. He has an incredible community. He's also the author of the book, How to Day Trade for a Living, a very simple, concise, and practical guide to day trading, written really for everyone, regardless of your financial market knowledge. I've read it and was so impressed with how jargon-free it is. I love all your books, Andrew. In your formal bio, you talk about your lifelong care with nature. And whether you're trading or in front of a computer, you're trying to always get outdoors. And your formal bio used to say that we should ask you about breathing at 20,000 feet. So now we have to ask you, what was it like to breathe at 29,000 feet? Uh, actually, I like that. Thanks for reminding that. I have to update that bio because right. at that time that where I wrote that bio, 22,000 feet was the highest one. But now it's actually a good time. Very good. Uh, thank you so much for uh, reminding me that. It was hard. It's hard. It really, 
like breathing is something that we do it like probably thousands of times during the day and we don't appreciate that going to the high elevation you don't need to even go to the everest itself go to the base camp of everest and you see every step matters every breath is becoming difficult so it's, uh, it's uh, again go back to the gratefulness and you know being grateful about everything that you have in life and from the moment that you land in nepal nepal is a very poor country you know you realize that we living in you know first world uh, you know in the west we're so you know privileged and from every small things and then obviously you go up and you know in the high, in the mount everest all the privileges of life is gone slowly they take it away from you the you know cold and lack of oxygen and exhaustion and everything so you become very grateful after this journey Beautiful. If you guys are enjoying this conversation, please be sure to follow Andrew on Twitter and please tweet out that you are enjoying this conversation so more listeners can come in, whether they are traders or people who are just into challenging themselves. My name is Kim Ann Curtin, the Wall Street Coach. I have the only trading Discord room dedicated to mindset at TraderHeroJourney.com. One of the questions I had for you, Andrew, and let me again remind you, if you guys want to ask Andrew a question, please put your request forward and I'll give you the microphone. One of the questions I had was just about the dynamic with the Sherpa that ha- helped you get to the top. Could you just talk about what the experience and the relationship entailed? Yeah, so my Sherpa was a very experienced Sherpa who'd been up to Everest 12 times. So it means that essentially 12 years, 13 years has gone up every year. He didn't have a lot of, uh, he didn't speak a lot of English. Yeah, you know, I really didn't need to talk with him a lot. He knew the route and he was always walking behind me unless we really needed to make a very bad, very difficult, you know, pass or the very difficult move that he was coming in front. Kind of, I was always connected to him when he came to the front and, you know, he was supporting me in my move. He did carry, uh, help, help me in the carry of some of the oxygen and some of the material. So it's very important. Without him, you know, it would have been pretty much impossible, very, very difficult. Because, you know, for the summit, you have to carry four bottles of oxygen because you ran out of the oxygen. But more than anything else is, I, you know, he was always taking care of me, looking at me without even talking, you know, essentially in the last 12 hours, you really don't talk because of the oxygen mask. But knowing that somebody is looking over your shoulder is giving you that peace of mind that somebody is looking at me. But unfortunately, he wasn't speaking a lot of English. And that was, you know, something very interesting that I can climb Mount Everest with someone that who doesn't speak even my language very well. Yeah, but the communication that was operating even in spite of that language power here, sounds like it was incredibly more powerful than words could have done anyway. Yeah, there is a, there is a book called Alchemist. I don't know if some of you might sure. have read that. There's talking about the universal language of, yeah. you know, that everybody speaks that. Like sometimes just by looking at other people, you, you can read a story. Like you don't need to really talk the same language to understand the fear, frustration, hope, or danger or, you know, this kind of things. And my relationship with my Sherpa was essentially like that, that he was reading me, my behavior, you know, without really speaking. And that's very beautiful. Like that's a connection that you have also with nature. You don't need to 
speak the language of nature to talk to Everest. Like I, I told you in the morning, I asked Everest to allow me to climb, but teach me something, you know, because you're different. You're different from the mountains that I climb everywhere else in the world. Those are fun. You go there, you take pictures, you take selfie. This is different. You know, you have to teach me something if, you, if I climb you. Yes. What do you think surprised you the most of the entire experience? What was so unexpected? I wasn't really expecting myself to be fearful of death that easily. And uh, I was also surprised with how I handled accepting death. And I said, okay, I'm going to die. Let's go up and let's see where we actually I fall. Like, like, that was very surprising, that experience of near death and accepting death. I think it was, it, I, I was surprised by that. Yeah, very profound. I can appreciate how stunning that must have been to face it and we can't I think it's sort of I'll just share just a little bit there was a incoming uh, a mistaken incoming missile text that got sent to all the residents of Hawaii a few years ago and and it's specifically said this is not a drill <laughs> and I can remember that was the first time. I mean, I've had a couple of near misses in surfing and in whitewater rafting where I thought I might die. But this moment where I was, you know, not actively engaged with something and thought, wow, this is it. And that you can't replicate that for yourself, but it forces you to really face death and face the, you know, the short that life really is and it was a profound experience for me I feel so fortunate that I got to have that experience because it made me really appreciate the value of life and how precious it is and how short it is and how at any moment it could be taken from any of us those moments force us to just really see like this is it not a dress rehearsal, so to speak. So I'm just curious, Andrew, what and how do you see that reconciling that you had affecting you personally? And then, of course, as a trader, especially with what Paris spoke to about, you know, your adventureness and courage as a trader already. What do you think this might do for you? I think, uh, I think uh, the gratefulness that you mentioned in the personally you know, I reiterate that one. For for trading-wise, I think the accepting the power of the most powerful things that you're dealing with, the market. Like in the mountain, look at the mountain, and I realized that my death and life in Everest is not under my control. It's under the condition that is happening. Like one avalanche can take you down. Like we were climbing up, and then there was a big rock fell down, and, you know, it was very close to hit us. And, you know, we couldn't do anything. Like if that one hit, it would have hit me. I would have been dead and it was out of my control. So the accept in trading, when you're trading, you have to accept that the market is very powerful. You cannot control market and it's something beyond your control. That is good. That doesn't mean that you cannot do your best, you know, but you know, have to accept that it's not your fault if it doesn't work, it's just the nature of the market. And it, it seems very simple, but it's very hard for people to understand. Like I myself, you know, had some very bad losses just because I just didn't want to accept that the market is right and I'm wrong. 
Like it's very important to accept that the market is a very powerful force and you are there to cruise around like a climber who goes up the mountain then tries to go up down safely. You try to cruise around this powerful force, but you have no control and you cannot change the environment of trading. Yeah, beautiful. We'll probably wrap this up in a few minutes. Does anybody have any questions? Please just raise your hand so I can give you the microphone. This is a conversation about Andrew's journey to the top of Mount Everest. And I wanted to hear more of the details. Are there is there any question I didn't ask you about that experience that I should ask you, Andrew? I don't know. I mean, I can't really think of anything, but I am going to give a slideshow with probably, and I'm going to go through all the, you know, logistics and journey and, you know, how the more in depth of the process with pictures and videos. And I, you know, would love you to come and everybody into the presentation. And if you have any question over there, I'm happy to answer. And that I still process the experience. It was like, so, you know, it yeah. was less than 10 days ago, like 12 days ago, less than two weeks ago, I was there and I still processed yeah. the experience. But I think at the end, if, if I can become a person who's more grateful for what they, I have and what the universe is giving me and just live in the moment, more living in the moment, life is way too short. And just enjoy every moment with your parents, with your kid. My mom is here. So I'm just every night, I'm just going hug her for hours and because I know that, you know, it's just, I might not have her, you know, in, in just in a moment, like the experience yeah. that you had with the missile uh, drill. Yeah, just being the, live in the moment, enjoy every moment, and the universe is allowing you to experience these amazing moments and just enjoy it. I think that these are the things yeah. that I, I hope that I, it stays with me. What was her, I can't imagine as a mother, what that must have been like for her, knowing you were going through that. How did she respond when you first reached out to tell her you were okay and had succeeded? Well, my mom actually was the person who she was actually encouraging me to go. And, you know, really? usually, yeah, I mean, usually the moms would say, oh, you know, my, my younger brother, Ali, you met. He was telling me that it's not worth it, man. Life is beautiful. Come down in the middle of the expedition. He was texting me. But my mom was telling me, no, go after your dream. If you enjoy it, you love wow. it, go after your dream. Uh, and I was wow. really surprised on that. And she, you know, uh, she sent a lot of prayers, I'm sure. But she was always encouraging me. I always joked with her that, mom, you know, you wouldn't mind I die. And then you get all the money. And we just laugh. <laughs> 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 oh, Andrew, that's amazing. How did Artie respond? How how beautiful that he wanted to just, you know, he probably, I'm sure, like, to, look, your mom is older, right? So she has lived her life, and probably, I think as anybody ages, you have regrets of the chances bite into. Yeah, so I think. And I suspect that's part of why she encouraged you. I think so. I think, and I think she does believe that, you know, every person has to go through their journey. You do what you got to do. And I think my mom was, is just, yeah, she knew that if I needed to do this and, you know, I have to do it. And, you know, probably no one would be more sadder, you know, than my mom if anything happened to me. But I have seen this before in the past. Like I had a friend who died in climbing, you know, in Canada. And then we went to the, you know, celebration of life event of that person. And then, you know, their parents came and then they say, you know, you're happy at least she died while she was, she, you know, she had, the, you know, she was enjoying what she loved. 
And she, they actually said that to us and all of her friends. And then keep doing what you love. You know, don't let yeah. this incident stop you from doing what you love. And it was amazing for me to hear that from a parent who just lost a very beautiful young girl. And uh, that, you know, they say, yeah, I mean, you do what you got to do. Do what you love to do. Don't let these kind of things stop you. Yeah, but also I appreciate that you received both, right? From your mom, the encouragement to move forward, but from your brother, you know, they're like, what are you doing this for? Just come back to us and be safe. So how beautiful to come. There's different kind of benefits to both of those messages, Andrew. Yeah, it's indeed, yes. It's beautiful. All right, just one last time, see if anybody has any questions. I see Sam. I know you're here. I don't know if you have any, but if anybody does have any questions, please just raise your hand so I can give you the microphone. But if not, Andrew, we will all be keeping an eye out for when this presentation and, you know, your willingness to share some of the photographs you have from the event with us. I can't wait to see those. I was following your adventure the whole time myself. I have to be honest with you, there was a part of me that thought, not because of you, because I can tell you have that determination and perseverance, but I hearing about the rope being broken up on that mountain and because of just, you know, how hard it is to navigate up there, I thought the elements would not perhaps allow you to get there. And I just can't tell you the moment you were like, we're on our way. That's when I started to definitely pray for you and your safety. Not that I wasn't before, but I was like, holy shit, it's going to happen. The rope was fixed. I was like, oh my goodness. So it was an exhilarating experience for me on the outside. And I started to cry when you posted that picture saying you had done it. And it was just, I think it's just the power of how each person's journey can impact and be that strong hand that pulls people forward throughout whatever their challenges are. And that's the power of community, even community that we may not even know somebody, but their story inspires us. It's just, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. So I hope you really appreciate, Andrew, how many people you'll never even meet that you inspired through that, you know, adventure. Thank you. I'm so I'm so happy to really hear that. And I hope that I can continue to inspire people around me. And yeah, I appreciate that. All right. Well, it doesn't look like we have any other questions. So we'll bring it to a close. Please take a look at Andrews. He is the founder of Bearful Traders. Please make sure you're following him on Twitter. This is a Twitter space. I usually do a podcast and a Twitter space, but I just was dying to hear some of the details of Andrew's adventure. So this is just a Twitter space. We'll probably release it on the podcast too. It will be, it is being recorded, fortunately. I'm looking forward to that presentation, Andrew. Thank you everybody for participating. Paris, for your question. And Andrew, I wish you a beautiful couple of weeks that you get to still rest and recover and enjoy the celebration of your incredible adventure. I'm just glad you're here back with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for coming and looking forward to to the slideshow presentation that I'm going to give next week. Beautiful. Have a good day. All right.
You too. Have a great weekend, yeah. everybody. And thanks for being here. Aloha. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. You can find out more about her and her team online at thewallstreetcoach.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.